Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Well, today's a special day. It's Tuesday. And for our regular listeners, you know that Tuesday is Travel Tuesday. For each week, we get the chance to dial in our members from around the world who share with us important things we need to know about doing business in their jurisdiction. Today, we're going to be learning more about doing business in Ontario, Canada. I'm pleased to welcome the show Shana French and Jeffrey Stewart, lawyers at Sherrard Coos in Ontario, the ELA member in Ontario. Folks, how are we doing today? Great. Thanks, Peter. Doing well. Wonderful. Well, I think the two of you are going to kind of pass this back and forth, but let's get started right from the beginning. Shana, if you could help us out to give us a general overview of the jurisdiction, economy, population, anything specific to the Canadian government or the provincial government you think is important to know. And then we'll take it from there. How's that? Sounds good. So Ontario is one of the 13 provinces and territories of Canada. It's Canada's most populous province, accounting for just under 40% of Canada's population with 14.8 million people, most of whom are English or European descent with large populations of Italian, Irish, and Scottish descent. But we are proud of our growing demographic diversity. Toronto is Ontario's, actually Canada's, largest city, with an estimated population of almost 3 million, over half of whom were born outside of Canada. Toronto is also the fourth largest city in North America. Not only are we the most populous province, we generate just under 40%, specifically 38.6% as of today, of Canada's national GDP. Of that 14.8 million people, The workforce of those who are over 25 years old exceeds 6 million. It is also a highly educated workforce with 64% of Ontario residents between the ages of 25 to 64 having completed post-secondary education. And Ontario is increasingly focusing on attracting the tech sector. The density of unionized workers in Ontario is approximately 30% with greater union density among public sector employees as compared to private sector. Private sector unionization has been on the decline in the last couple of decades, and we are now about 15% in the private sector. English is the dominant language spoken in Ontario, with over 85% of residents speaking only English, but there are many other languages spoken here, as we are diverse and, as I said, an increasingly diversifying province. Ontario has its own government, which includes a premier and legislature, along with its own provincial court system which certainly does impact Ontario employers. And finally, we have a very robust administrative law forum with respect to human rights, worker safety, occupational health and safety. That's a great wrap up there. And I'll tell you, it's a lovely city, which we should also say that for. The ELA has visited there before. We've had our global meetings there before. And we also come up and just visit our friends at Sherrard Coos just to hang out. So that's great. Jeffrey, let's talk about some of the industries that are up there maybe touch on things in agriculture or banking or wherever the money seems to be flowing. Point that out for us, if you would. Yeah, Ontario, much like its population of residents, actually has a pretty diverse economy, ranging from a large agricultural industry. There's mineral mining in northern Ontario of a variety of different minerals that are used in a whole host of other products and a pretty extensive manufacturing industry, including the automotive field and a lot of connections between the Ontario automotive manufacturing industry and the industries in places like Detroit or Michigan and, and things of that nature. And to Shane's point, we also have a, a growing technology sector. Our biggest sector in industry by far is our service industry. When I say service industry, I'm referring to things like business, financial services, 
our scientific services, professional services, and our arts and culture. This sector actually employs 79% of people that work in the province of Ontario and makes up nearly 77% of our overall economy. In fact, when we talk about Ontario's tech industry, Ontario employs 50% of Canadians working in high tech, financial, and other knowledge-intensive industries. So it's a pretty significant employer and sector for the province. And when we get to manufacturing, even though service is such a giant part of our economy, after Texas and California, Ontario has the most manufacturing employees of any jurisdiction in Canada or the U.S. And our key manufacturing industries, again, are automotive, biotech, pharmaceuticals, and medical devices. So pretty diverse, but a lot of it's in the service type of industry. Wow. So that's quite a wrap up as well. So a lot going on up there. And, and based on some of the adjacencies you talked about with the U.S. and the automotive area, Let's dig in, if we can, Shana, on some of the structural issues. So it sounds like lots of employers are outsourcing some of the manufacturing to Canada, or we've got people moving back and forth there. So let's speak from the position of, I'm from another country and I want to employ locally in Ontario. And you mentioned something in your opening remarks about unions. So let's talk about the impact of unions or affirmative action, any other kinds of regulations that we need to know about. Peter, I think from a starting point, The best reference I can provide to employers looking to come into Canada is a little primer on the Canadian employment and labor landscape. It's governed by, for the most part, Canadian employment and labor laws are governed by local, provincial, or territorial law, as opposed to a national landscape. The national employment laws are confined to specific industries like banking, airlines, telecommunications, and cross-border commerce. There's a very finite list. So at times that can confuse people who are trying to orient themselves to Canadian law because their searches generate Canadian legislation, which they use as a reference. But in most cases, they need to really be looking at the specific province or territory in which a business is operating. And if they're operating in several provinces and territories, then they actually need to make sure that they're compliant specifically with each one with respect to the employees in that population. So turning to Ontario, it's a common law jurisdiction, meaning that cases decided by judges can have an impact on employee rights. That always makes it a little bit more of an art than a science when you're talking about what is relevant in Ontario. Unlike some other jurisdictions, for instance, where an employment relationship may be formed on an at-will basis, our common law and legislation presumes an employer and an employee intend the employment contract to remain in force indefinitely until brought to an end upon appropriate notice for employees in a non-union setting. And in the union setting, again, that's very much structured by our local Ontario Labor Relations Act and specific industry laws that may apply with respect to the type of work that's being done. So turning back to the non-union employees in the absence of an employment contract, and we say employment contracts are a good thing here because they're an opportunity to limit entitlements or obligations upon termination to that statutory landscape, as opposed to a very expensive, at times, obligation for reasonable notice of termination. So it's often a bit of a culture shock for some of our international, particularly U.S.-based clients looking to expand into Canada, to say, look, we really need to turn our minds to what happens in the event of a termination, because the liabilities could be huge, up to two years compensation for an employee. And there's a way to manage that and mitigate it on the front end. And we really encourage employers to be looking to that. No one likes to look at the breakup on the front end, but prudent counsel will help you navigate a way to protect yourself. 
And so there are some industries and workplaces, like I said, that fall within that federal regime. And they're governed by very specific laws that any of our ELA members in Canada can help you with, whether it's Sheracuse or one of our other members, because it's that national landscape. Turning to specific changes to employment law in Ontario, we've seen some large changes in the past year. It's an election year, and I know that Jeff's going to talk a little bit about that. So it always brings some surprises for us. Back in October of 2021, non-compete agreements were prohibited for the majority of employees by a legislative change. That was a very big surprise for employers. They're now specifically reserved for situations where there is a sale of business or C-suite level employees. It's not necessarily a change to the common law as they were difficult to enforce before, but now you have a specific legislative regime that employers definitely need to be mindful of because it could take down a whole employment agreement if you have an unlawful restrictive covenant. And now as of June 1, 2022, all employers who as of January 1st had 25 or more employees are required to have a right to disconnect policy. And the last big change is pretty recent is employers have to provide disclosure or have a policy on employee monitoring, electronic monitoring in the workplace. So again, some really big changes happening and thanks to the election year. Sounds like a good reason to hire a good employment lawyer in Ontario. You don't happen to know one by any chance, Shana. We, we know a whole firm full of them. And I just don't want to scare employers away. I really don't because it's a landscape that's quite predictable for Jeff and for me. And people who practice this area of law can help navigate it. But it can be a little bit overwhelming for clients who don't have that front end support. So, Jeff, based on that, let's put the pro-business, pro-employee scale in front of our audience. In your opinion, or in the shared opinion of you and your colleague, Shana, what's the general business climate in Ontario? Is it pro-business? Is it pro-employee? What do you think? Yeah. So if you'd asked me this question a year ago, I'd probably have a different answer than I have now. The Progressive Conservative Party is in power currently. And as Shana said, we're headed to a provincial election. That's scheduled for June 2nd. So all bets are off in terms of what's being promised and what's what's not being promised. But historically, the Conservative Party were more pro-business than more more pro-employee in terms of what they enact. When this party came into power, the first thing they did was actually repeal a bunch of changes to the Employment Standards Act that were advocated for by various employee-type groups, such as paid days off for personal emergencies and stopping the minimum wage from increasing to $15 an hour. However, now we're headed towards a pandemic-related election. The government has enacted and proposed to enact many changes to the Employment Standards Act to reflect what they're calling the gig economy and the realities of the pandemic including changing minimum wage back to $15 an hour. And when our Minister of Labor was appointed, he was quoted as saying when he became the Minister of Labor back in June of 2019 and intentionally picked a side, that was the side of workers. So in terms of where we're seeing it go, it is a little more pro-employee than where the Conservative government was when they first came in. And we've seen this already through numerous reforms, through what Shana talked about, banning non-compete agreements for employees, requiring right to disconnect policies, increasing minimum wage and the monitoring of employees and having to disclose that. And we can only assume that more type policies like that will be announced during the election and the run-up to the election. So at this point, I'd say it's a little more pro-employee than pro-employer. Shana, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I would also point out it's not just what our government is doing in terms of the legislation that they're passing to be more pro-worker. It's also the opportunities they're not taking to clarify some of the very confusing legislation 
that results in significant liabilities for employers in our Ontario Employment Standards Act. And so it's not just what they're doing, it's also what they're not doing that speaks volumes in terms of where their interests are right now. Well, you know, I know I tried to get to Canada a couple months ago, couldn't do it. So now let's talk about what the cross-border opportunities are. And certainly within Canada, I think, or at least I hope that those things have opened up. But let's talk about immigration. Let's talk about cross-border opportunities. You know, we got a lot of businesses investing on both sides. Shana, easy, difficult. Is there anything put in place to help make this move forward? Fill us in. Well, there definitely were some very onerous cross-border restrictions that have been pandemic-related that are lifting and shifting. So it's starting to get easier for a regular person and business visitor to cross the border. From an immigration perspective, the standards aren't determined at a provincial level. They're set at the federal level. And there has been a push at that level to increase the immigration into Canada as our workforce ages and there are not enough people to fill all of the vacant positions that are now here. We're seeing a real labor market crunch in Canada generally, Ontario specifically, that we'd relied pretty heavily on the foreign worker program to supplement. And we're really not seeing that. So we're seeing some businesses that will be reducing their hours, whether they're in the retail or in the you know, coffee shop business where they just don't have the staff or people are getting a disproportionate wage increase. We had one situation in our knowledge recently where an offer was for a more than 30% wage increase in a unionized sector over three years, and it was not ratified. So because of inflation, because of the restriction on immigration over the last two years, we really have a labor supply issue, and that's going to have to be met with some reforms to immigration. In the majority of cases, someone who isn't a Canadian citizen who's looking to work in Canada needs a work permit, and that process does take time depending on the permit required. We have a very strong ELA team to support that immigration element, whether it's corporate or personal or tag-alongs. And we strongly encourage anyone who's looking to bring someone into Canada to get that addressed on the front end so you don't have a situation where someone's showing up unprepared and potentially being barred entry and that bar lasting past what would be an expected period of time. Perhaps something goes really wrong at that initial presentation. So really planning in advance for that is the key and coordinating any employment-related documents with the immigration plan. At the provincial level, the Ontario government announced they would propose legislation that would remove barriers experienced by internationally trained immigrants. For example, they prohibit the requirement that someone have, quote, Canadian work experience, end quote, when they attempt to get licensed for some regulated professions like law, accounting, architecture, engineering, electrical and plumbing, absent a public health and safety concern. So we are seeing definitely, you know, the perspective that our borders are open because we really do need them to open up. It's just that the federal legislative regime is going to be coming along a little bit more slowly. Very interesting. So be prepared when you get to Canada. And if you need help being prepared, Sherard Coos is there to help you. So what a wonderful firm you are. And also uh, all of our other colleagues in Canada, they certainly set the standard for many of the things we do at the ELA. This has been a great conversation. Jeffrey, Shana, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Peter. If you'd like to connect with Shana or Jeffrey, you can find their bios by clicking on their name in the description of this podcast. Also visit ela.law to receive invitations to upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to our on-demand content in the online library, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. 
You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.